the message uh, that the Lord has given me this morning is uh, in the book of Exodus and mainly in chapter 12, uh, where we have a record of the feast of Passover. Uh, maybe uh, in all of the Bible, this is the closest example that we've got uh, to uh, the present lockdown. Uh, what's happened in Passover? Well, the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were being uh, persecuted uh, by uh, the ruler, Pharaoh, and uh, they uh, are going uh, to uh, be led out of that uh, horrible uh, uh, bondage uh, uh, through uh, Moses, the man that God has raised. And God has sent uh, Moses several times to Pharaoh uh, in order uh, to tell him to let his people go. And uh, Pharaoh, every time, has refused. And uh, what happens uh, in this chapter is that God is going uh, to send uh, a plague, uh, the angel of death, uh, which is going uh, to afflict uh, all uh, the firstborn in Egypt, the firstborn in the royal household, down uh, to the firstborn of the cattle, uh, is going uh, to die. And as a result of that, uh, God's people are going to be freed. Uh, Israel isn't going to be affected by the angel of death uh, because uh, they have sacrificed a lamb and the blood of the lamb is uh, on their doorposts. And when the angel of death uh, sees that blood, it passes over those households, hence the name uh, Passover. And this was uh, the day of days, uh, the night of nights to uh, the children of Israel. It was on this night when Pharaoh finally, reluctantly, yes, but finally allowed them to go free that a nation was born. And it's uh, the most important of all the festivals in the Old Testament. And it's a wonderful uh, symbol of what Jesus Christ has done for us. As we read right at the start, Christ, our Passover. And why did I say it was the most relevant uh, passage to our current situation? Well, here, the children of Israel, uh, for the Passover nights, were in lockdown. They, they were not allowed to leave their homes until morning. And the reason for that lockdown was a plague, uh, like this horrible virus. And uh, there is uh, this wonderful uh, illustration here, as I've said, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this was uh, the day of days and the nights of nights, the uh, example of examples, uh, the type of types uh, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So let's look at it in uh, terms of three headings. And you'll just have to 
uh, bear with me in terms of the titles I've given uh, for these headings. My, my first heading, I just want to show you how relevant this is uh, to every one of us, even though uh, I don't know if there are Jews listening, but most of us are, are not Jewish. And yet this is uh, one of the most important passages in the whole of the Bible to us. Why? Well, my first point is this. Because of the sin of sins. The sin of sins. Now, maybe when we think of the worst uh, possible sin, the worst thing that a person can do, uh, we may suggest um, murdering a child, uh, or we may think uh, of uh, a gangster who has uh, murdered uh, several hundred people or a, a terrorist. Uh, now, those things are obviously. Uh, horrible, uh, and they are to be punished. But when we look at this passage, the sin of sins is something much, much worse and more subtle. Now, what, what have we got here? Well, as I said at the beginning, uh, God sent Moses uh, to Pharaoh to command him to let his people go free and every time pharaoh refused in other words pharaoh rejected god's word that in the bible is considered the number one sin it's called unbelief uh, and it's not just something in this passage in the old testament jesus christ uh when he was uh preaching the gospel in uh, his hometown and in the surrounding areas, uh, places like uh, Capernaum, uh, he uh, says, uh, woe to you, Capernaum. Uh, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, where uh, terrible sins were committed. Uh, it'll be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment uh, because you, Capernaum, did not repent and believe at the preaching of the gospel. And the same could be said of our own country, uh, with all of our privileges over many, many decades and centuries. Yet we have rejected God's word. And it's a terrible thing uh, to resist uh, God's word. There is a verse in Hebrews. Uh, which says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We've got a saying in Welsh, three tries for a Welshman. God gives that warning in Hebrews, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He gives it three times. Now, there is a point when God says, no more. There is a limit to God's patience. There is a line drawn. Now, you and I don't know when that line is drawn. Thank God for that. But we can't play with God. Now, may maybe some of you listening 
have had moments when you have become tender to God's word. Uh, maybe during camp, if you're a young person, or maybe uh, when uh, you have had uh, an illness or a member of your family has died, uh, you, you have become concerned uh, for uh, your salvation. You, you have been serious about seeking Jesus Christ and asking him to save you. But then it's just worn off and you've just gone back to what you were before. Now, your danger is that you can become like Pharaoh eventually, gospel-hardened. It's a terrible state to be in. I can remember people now uh, that were interested uh, in some ways. They were more in earnest than I was uh, during university. Uh, the word convicted them, and they sh showed themselves to be serious in seeking after God. But after a few weeks, it dissipated. It just disappeared, and they are nowhere now. Gospel hardened. Are our hearts tender this morning as we come to the Word of God? It's an awesome task to preach the Word of God. It's just as awesome an activity to hear the Word of God. Are you coming to the Word this morning uh, to look uh, for things you can criticize? Or are you coming in order to respond? Oh, may we never become so familiar with the word uh, that that familiarity breeds contempt. And so God has given Pharaoh his chance. Uh, God has sent nine plagues before this last plague. And now this uh, angel of death is going to come. If you've got a Bible, uh, look at verse uh, 12 for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments uh, this is uh, the uh, battle of the gods uh, this is uh, the Lord Jehovah showing Pharaoh that there's only one who is in complete control. There is only one who is Lord. And that isn't Pharaoh. And that isn't you. And that isn't me. We are not the captain of our souls. There is only one who is our commander. And that's the one with whom we have to do. Uh, it's... Uh, sobering uh, when uh, you read uh, verse 29 and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck at the firstborn in the land of Egypt it's the Lord who holds the angel of death on its leash it's the Lord who has the power not just over life but over death it's the Lord whom you are neglecting maybe you're not rejecting him outright it's much more subtle it's much more respectable you're just holding him at a distance you're just saying no thank you 
But that Lord, my friend, is giving you your very breath. That's a serious thing. And that night, the firstborn in the land of Egypt died. And what was the result? There was a great cry in the original, wailing in Egypt. Imagine the stillness of midnight being broken by a wail, a desperate cry from uh, one house on the edge uh, of the city. And then like a wave, a Mexican wave, those cries increasing, not just one house, another household, another household, another household. And the sound, the desperation uh, at uh, that night would, would have been horrible. And there are the children of Israel huddled together, afraid, and yet none of their firstborn died. There is a picture called the helpless dawn. It's, it's one of the saddest uh, pictures I know. The helpless, the hopeless dawn. And it's like that uh, in the morning for the Egyptians. It's a terrible thing to grieve for one without no hope. Uh, this is what James Montgomery Boyce said. Where now was the power of Pharaoh? He, Pharaoh, was supposed to be the incarnate God. Did you know that? The perfect God, Ra, on earth. Where was his power? He didn't have death under his thumb. He had no power against the angel of death. His son, the next Pharaoh, the next incarnation of Ra, was dead. And dead is dead. Pharaoh is no more. No one, apart from one man, has conquered death. When I was in Bible college, uh, we were given this uh, wise uh, counsel that when we took a funeral, we had a captive audience and we must never give the impression that they are got at. I hope I'm not doing that to you this morning. I, I'm bringing these things because they are real. Life is real. Life is earnest. And even the grave is not our goal. Death is real, eternity is real, hell is real, heaven is real. The hope in Jesus Christ, that lively hope, is real. That's why I'm reminding us of these glorious and awesome truths. And we were given the counsel when taking funerals not to let people feel that they were being got at. And we were given this example. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was asked when he was in Sandfields to take the funeral of a famous boxer uh, from Merthyr. There, there were some very uh, well-known boxers in Merthyr in those days. This was the uh, middle of the 20th century. And uh, he didn't know if this boxer was a Christian. And he didn't know what to say. Uh, he was going to take this service and he had people there uh, who were hard men. And this is what he spoke about, and you'll see the relevance now. He said, 
This was his message. The fights that this boxer lost. He'd won so many fights in his life, but there was one fight he couldn't win. And it's the same fights we are going to have to fight one day. The Grim Reaper, death. None of us are going to be able to be strong enough to face it. Only Jesus Christ. Now, there's something else here about the sin of sins. And this really uh, is sobering. All the other plagues that God afflicted Egypt with, the children of Israel were separated uh, from those plagues. Uh, those plagues didn't come uh, to them. And maybe there was a temptation for the Israelites to think that he was special somehow, that there was something inherently righteous in him that meant that God would never judge him. Oh, no, uh, they were the people. Uh, they were because of their religion, because of their good works, because, yes, they were not perfect, but because of something good in them that they were, at the end of the day, not going to go to hell, but going to go to heaven. But in this last plague, now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. I don't want you to misunderstand. In this last plague with the angel of death, God didn't discriminate between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. If it wasn't for the blood sprinkled on the doorposts, the firstborn in an Israelite household would have died as well. Did you get that? The angel of death passed over the households of Israel only because something had happened and he saw the blood. Now I wonder, I wonder, we belong to a good church. I would not want uh, to be pastor of another church. I love our church and for what we stand for. But can this be a temptation for us sometimes to think that because we're sound theologically, because we are morally upright that somehow we are special let me remind you when moses first was sent to the children of israel before he went to pharaoh they rejected him and aaron there was nothing inherently righteous in israel uh, paul takes this up in romans and in romans 3 he asks the question Jew or barbarian, others. <laughs> Jews considered them in New Testament times, not all the Jews, but the religious leaders considered them dogs. Are we better than they? Is that your thoughts this morning? I'm not perfect, but maybe I'm going to be all right. I'm not like that. You're denying God's word. He says there is none righteous. No, not one.
How do I know? I know because the wages of sin is death. If we were righteous in and of ourselves, we wouldn't die. We wouldn't have to die. The soul that sins shall die. And because we all have to die, the argument, the logic is quite simple. We are all sinners. Whether we're respectable sinners, whether we're down and out sinners, we're all sinners. I'm coming as a sinner. I have no other name. What made the difference? One thing. We're going to come to it now, but let me just mention it. Grace. Undeserving favour. Grace caused the children of Israel to be saved. They didn't deserve it. Neither do you, neither do I. Grace. Uh, this is what, uh, what one hymn writer said. All that I was, my sin, my guilt, my death, was all my own. All that I am, I owe to thee, my gracious God alone. So the sin of sins. And then the saviour of saviours. This is a day of day, night of night, because of a saviour of saviours. How were the children of Israel saved by grace? Well, let's take up the accounts. Uh, if you read verse 3, everyone shall take for himself a lamb, a lamb for each house. Verse 5, this lamb had to be spotless without blemish. Why? This lamb was the substitutes. We are sinners. The substitutes has to be sinless. Now, the lamb here uh, isn't a perfect substitute because it has to be a human being. But God is teaching his people here through types, uh, through uh, models, as it were, of the real thing that's about to come. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. But here we've got a type of the antitype, who is Jesus Christ. A substitute for you and for me. Uh, now, I had to take a funeral uh, many, many weeks ago, and I hadn't met the person before. I didn't know where this person stood. And the people that attended the funeral, I don't think they had a clue uh, regarding uh, the Bible. <laughs> when I opened uh, my mouth and gave a verse, they looked at me as if I was from another planet. And I needed something as a hook. And I just discovered, while talking to the friends of this person who had died just before the service, that he was a big Cardiff City supporter. So that was my hook. Uh, all I said was, just as you have a substitute in a soccer match, when a player doesn't play well enough, he's taken off and he's replaced by a substitute. So we have failed. We've failed to keep the law of God. we failed, even uh, when we know the word of God, to uh, put it into practice. We've failed completely, but God hasn't completely written us off. Praise be to his name. In love, 
He senses substitutes. He senses not uh, an imperfect substitute as you would have in a football match, but he senses a completely pure uh, human being. It was the Son of God, uh, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. The Son of God became a man, and he was a pure, spotless, perfect human being. And why did he come? He came to be our substitute, to live the kind of life we could never live. Blessed be his name. I love him, you know, because he, even though he was tempted, didn't fall. And he did that for me, for you, our substitutes. But there's something else about this lamb, isn't there? Uh, the lamb had to die. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. If death is the result of sin, if it's the angel of death that's coming, then the only way that that angel of death can pass over if there is another death, and that's what happened to Jesus Christ, he came not just to live, but to die. To die. Uh, listen to Peter. Uh, this is how Peter put it. Uh, he said of Jesus Christ, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree by whose stripes we are healed. Christ died that we might be forgiven, that we might go at last to heaven, saved by what? By his precious blood. The blood signifies death, and not just one death in the sense of one for one, but the blood of atonement. His death was substitutionary atonement. What is an atonement? An atonement is covering uh, one sin. It's causing sin to be blotted out. And that's what the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, has done. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. But this man, this man, after he had offered sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Normally, I stand up to preach. I'm not standing up in my own house. And when I finished, I sit down. A person sits down when they've completed their work. Jesus is sitting down in heaven because the work is done. The saving work is complete. There's no need for any more sacrifice. Oh, I find this so thrilling. Uh, let me give you something else here. It's not one death uh, for one person. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, when God first taught a fallen humanity to offer sacrifices, it was one lamb for the sin of one person. Abraham offered, or didn't, he was about to offer 
Isaac in that way. When you come to the Passover, it's one lamb, not for one person, but for one household. It's bigger, isn't it? When you come later on to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it's one lamb, not just for one household, but for the whole nation. And when the Lamb of God comes, when John the Baptist sees Jesus of Nazareth and points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away not the sins of one nation, but the sins of the world. That's amazing. One man dying for an infinite number of people. Why? Because he's God. There's infinite worth, efficaciously in the blood of Jesus Christ to cause your sin to be atoned for and to be cleansed. It doesn't matter if an infinite number of people wash themselves in this fountain. There is room for even more. Something else, something else. The timing is perfect. The lamb had to be sacrificed at twilights, at twilights. Jesus Christ celebrated the Passover meal on the Thursday nights. It's as if he's saying to the disciples in breaking the bread and taking the wine, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Look, he says, I'm the Passover lamb. It's all about me and what I'm about to do. And then he was crucified. He was sacrificed on midday on Friday. He was already dead by twilight. The punishments for our sins had already been meted out upon him by then. And so by the time uh, the Jews came to actually kill their Passover lambs. There was no points. What was the points of the types now? The substance had come, and not just come, the substance had fulfilled the work. You, you could have said to those Jews, don't bother, don't bother. Uh, release those lambs. They, they can go back. Look to that cross. Look to the one who hung there. At this point, he'd probably been taken down and been buried in uh, the burial ground nearby. It's done, it's done. We've already sung this hymn, but it's worth quoting again. No blood, no altar now. The sacrifice is over. No flame, no smoke ascends on high. The lamb is slain no more, but richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. No more to be done. Have you seen that? You don't have to work for your salvation. It's done. All you do is accept. A saviour of saviours. There's no need for anyone else.
Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient. And then my third and final point. Yes, the sin of sins, but not too great for the saviour of saviours on this day of day and nights of nights. And then a salvation of salvations. I don't know if that makes sense. We were never taught grammar in school. <laughs> the fact that the lamb had been sacrificed and blood shed was not enough. If that's all a household would have done, the angel of death would have come to them and they would have lost their firstborn. Verse, I think it's verse 22. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin. They put the blood uh, from the sacrifice there and strike the lintel and the two doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. So they would use the hyssop like a paintbrush. And it was only when the blood of the sacrificed lamb was applied that their sins were covered. And that sign was the sign to the angel of death to pass them by, to turn away, turn away. Uh, this is what one uh, theologian said. It's worth repeating. The doorposts put blood between God and the sinner. That's what you and I need. A holy God has to see blood if we're to be safe. When the people looked up, they saw they had expiation. That's a big word, but it's a good word. Expiation, a covering for their sins. Their sins were gone, no more. That's what the people saw when they looked up, expiation. When God looked down or when the angel of death looked down, he saw propitiation. What does propitiation mean? It means a holy God turning away his anger because justice has been done. His law has been honoured. So when the people looked, they saw the blood expiation. Our sin is covered. Praise God. It's gone. When God looked down, he saw propitiation in the blood. His wrath is turned away. Uh, when I preached a number of years ago, I heard from another preacher uh, that when they built the space shuttle, uh, that uh, the tiles they put on the outside of the space shuttle were called propitiation tiles. Because when the space shuttle re-entered Earth's atmosphere on landing, the heat was so intense, uh, they needed special tiles that would deflect the heat, turn it away. And so they called them propitiation tiles. Well, that's what I heard from another preacher. Unfortunately, I don't think NASA has used that term. Uh, but it's a good term, isn't it? We should write to NASA and tell them to call the tiles propitiation tiles. And that's what Jesus Christ is to you and to me if we're trusting in him. He's our propitiation in his blood. It's because of the blood that the anger of God is turned away. There is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Top lady put it 
the terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. Why? My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. Praise God. What are you looking at this morning? Are you looking at God in his holiness and it causes you to shrivel up and you feel no hope? Don't look there. Are you looking within and trying to find some spark of goodness so that you can be accepted of God? Don't look there. Look to the cross. Look to the blood. Look to the expiation and the propitiation. Reason like this. This is another hymn of Top Ladies. Uh, you would have thought the top lady was a Welshman. The quality of the hymns, complete atonement thou hast made. And to the utmost thou hast paid, whate'er thy people owed. And then you reason like this. How then can wrath on me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood? I know. I'm not perfect, even as somebody who's believed in Jesus Christ. He's my righteousness. I'm forgiven. God, the just, is satisfied. Past, presence, future sins, all blotted out. But I'm still imperfect. I still fall. I still fail, God. And I'm tempted to think I'm not good enough. God is somehow angry with me. No. How then can wrath on me take place? It can't, because God has already punished your sin and mine in Jesus Christ. Done. No more. God isn't cruel. Praise God. Is your sin covered by the blood? Are you sheltering under the cross of Jesus Christ? That's what a Christian is. A Christian isn't a special person. A Christian is a sinner. But he's no more an unsaved sinner. He's gone. Repentance means to turn, to turn from sin, to turn to Christ in faith. And he said what I said to the children, Lord, have mercy on me. I don't deserve it, but who does? You're a God of grace. Have mercy on me. He's trusted Jesus Christ. And because of Christ's goodness and merits, a Christian is a saved sinner. He's actually a saint, a saint. We tend to think of saints as people who have done something special, of people who performed miracles. Oh no. You're a saint this morning if you're in Christ Jesus. By faith. They kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. What's your response to my sermon this morning? This is the word of God. Not my own word, not my own interpretation. I'm letting it loose. Are you still resisting, rejecting the Saviour? that is portrayed in this word? Or is there something in your hearts, even if you can't say it out loud, that says, thank God that a sinner like me can be saved because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And that if I call on him, even if all I can do is croak like a raven, whoever, whoever, that includes you, 
shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. None of the Lamb, none of the name, none of the hope in heaven or earth or sea, none of the hiding place from guilt and shame, none beside thee. I want to finish by telling you how William Cowper became a Christian. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He was a poet and a hymn writer in the 18th century, and he had mental illness. And in those days, people really uh, didn't treat uh, those who were afflicted with mental illness uh, very kindly. And he was uh, for six months in St. Albans Insane Asylum. And in God's providence, there was a Christian doctor there, Nathaniel Cotton. And one day, Cowper accidentally, I don't think it was accidentally, uh, picked up a Bible which was lying on his bed. I think the, the doctor had put it there. And he read the verse uh, in Romans, whom God, speaking of Jesus' death, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And then this is what Cowper says, immediately I received the strength to believe and the full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment, I believed and received the gospel. Uh, in all its clearness and with the spirit of power, unless the almighty arm had been under me, I think I should have died with gratitude and joy, my eyes filled with tears and my voice choked with transport. I could only look up to heaven in silent fear, overwhelmed with love and wonder. And he wrote about his experience, didn't he? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners like me, like you, plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains.